Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Kirks. and kittens, uh, buccaneers and boutonnieres and everyone else in between. This is the smartest man in the world, Proofcast. Once again, we uh, join hands in a hemicircle here at the Comedy Central Space at the Hudson, at the bustling, throbbing, jostling, elbowing, overcrowded, brimming with creativity theater district here on the outskirts of the other side of West Hollywood, just on the other side of Highland. And what can only be described here in Southern California is a June gloom day. To the rest of the country, they scoff at us in our sissyhood and our swirling vortex of baby-killing showbiz bullshit because uh, the rest of the country has weather, penetrating horrible ice violent razor blade hail followed by gigantic heat waves that make crops fail and babies cry and tornadoes wasting away on giant places and unbelievable hurricanes and every other manner of biblical uh, mayhem strikes the rest of the country. Here in uh, LA at the summer we get a mild cloud cover. <laughs> which no one can stop talking about like it's the worst biblical punishment that's ever been visited upon Job's house if Job lived in Century City in a condo. Uh, so to describe it to the rest of the country and indeed the rest of the world because there are proof kittens listening well below the equator and of course in the, in the wilds of Europe as well where the European bison roams in its solitude uh, the June gloom means the sky is white for a couple of weeks and then it kind of goes away, and then we get back to the 70 degree weather that we're used to every other day here in Southern California. But you see, if anything disrupts nirvana here, uh, we give birth, have a conniption, and make kittens out of cabbages. We uh, tend to hang each other from the highest yardarm in the land. If it's too hot three days in a row, everyone loses their shit. If it rains three days in a row, everyone starts to drive as if hell has boiled over, and the familiars have climbed up upon the surface of the earth and are. Uh, giving vent to their moisture as a personal affront to you and you alone. Uh, so it's nice to have the June gloom. Uh, I like the eternal sun here. If you know me at all, and my name is Greg Proops, uh, the, uh, you know that I detest weather of any kind. For me, 69 degrees with a light breeze, that's weather. 74 degrees, 75 degrees, I've become mildly uncomfortable. I was in uh, Dearborn, Michigan and Kalamazoo, Michigan on the weekend last. Yeah, just bragging, biatch. And um, it was murder hot there. And it's not just that it's so hot in the Midwest, because they don't know from hot. Uh, my family, a lot of them were uh, around Phoenix when I was growing up. And Phoenix can be 116 degrees. But as they say, it's a dry heat, which means Gila monsters explode. <laughs> And your thighs stick to the seats of your automobile in a most unseemly manner till they have to be ripped off like your lips against the freezer, leaving chunks of flesh down there like a horrible Saw movie. Uh, but it's a dry heat in Phoenix, so you can kind of survive if you don't go out between the hours of 7.15 a.m. and 7.15 p.m. Uh, in the Midwest, there's no escaping the humidity. You sweat in the shower, you sweat down the bridge of your nose, you sweat down the back of your ears, and, uh, and the food is vile. So there's those two things. <laughs> Anyways, welcome. If you're here in the theater, uh, thank you for coming. If you're listening out in Proopcast land, well, bully for fucking you. Look what you did. Something cool with your life that would otherwise be gray and dreary every goddamn moment without me lighting it like a Roman candle. You know, we take questions here uh, on The Smartest Man in the World, both live from the audience, which we shall attempt later, and um, on the interweb, you may email me at smartest at a special thing.com. No, I'm not going to spell a special thing for you, you fucking illiterate. So, that, uh, I, I left off last week and we never really quite get through the questions because as you may have gathered, I'm mesmerized by the sound of my own voice. Uh, and I become hypnotized as the show goes on, both by vodka and by the lilting tones of my own dulcet nasality. And at those moments when I've lulled myself into a hypnopedic uh, uh, torpor, are the moments when I don't get through all the questions. And we had a couple to finish with here last time. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to go right to them. We'll hit the rest of the questions at the end of the show. Nate asked, um, has your love for the Giants ever faltered throughout your long-standing fandom? 
comma, or question mark, if not comma, what would have to happen for you to question your allegiance, question mark. Now, those of you who are keen-eared listeners, uh, those bat-eared listeners out there would have noted that we did begin to answer that question. However, I promised to finish this. Now, seeing as how I'm a Giants fan, and I'm a middle-aged white guy, and I have a vodka in my hand, this could be the entirety of the show. <laughs> Let that serve as a caution to all of you sitting here tonight when you see uh, that something is free that you always get what you pay for. <laughs> and for the people out there listening who've downloaded who also understand that every single episode of the Proofcast is free, and up till this point without advertisement, Although, I would advise all vodka manufacturers to come forward post-haste. <laughs> because I will advertise any type of vodka. It really doesn't matter what kind. Dr. Zhivago boxcar potato brand Ralph Richardson <laughs> starving Julie Christie frozen mustache vodka would be my first choice. But I'll take any kind. Uh, that uh, you get what you pay for as well out there in Proopcast land. Uh, has my love of the Giants ever faltered? I, d I believe I did answer that. Of course it has. I've been a fan since the 60s. My God, Greg, how old are you? None of your cocking business. And uh, secondly, uh, Willie Mays was old when I was watching. Let me put it that way. Um, who's Willie Mays, Greg? I don't know anything that happened before 1984 because I'm a 29-year-old in a douchebag. Well, let me hip you to something. Willie Mays is a living god who played baseball. What's baseball, Greg? I read comic books all day long. I watch the MTV Music Awards. I was going to watch the MTV Music Awards, but then I remembered, one, I'm 50, and two, I'm cool, and so I didn't have time to. My understanding was, though, that Jennifer Aniston won an award on the MTV Movie Awards. Now, I just have a personal predilection uh, and it's more of a guideline than a hard and fast, strenuous rule that I adhere to at all times. Uh, if Jennifer Aniston is getting an award on a show, I probably am not going to like that show. <laughs> if the cast of Twilight's going to be on, I would have no idea. I, I don't begrudge people, Twilight. If you're 11 and you're horny and you don't know which way you're going yet in your life and you think you might be bi or whatever, I can see loving Twilight beyond all measure. Uh, vampires are cool. There's no question about it. If you're over the age of 17 and you're still going to the Twilight movies, um, wow. I think it was uh, the 80s when this rap came out and I'd like to quote it for you. You had better checkity check yourself before you wreckety-wreck yourself. Um, I do improvisation around the country, and we often ask for um, novels or people's favorite books, and people yell out Twilight consistently. People over the age of 20 yell out Twilight consistently. I would sooner pull my eyeballs out and feed them to a fucking wild rabbit hyena in, in Times Square on New Year's Eve in front of fucking Ryan Seacrest than admit I read a Twilight or a Harry Potter book ever to anyone in my life. Now, if you don't feel the same kind of embarrassment, I can only ascribe it to that your parents were horrible and drank all day long and named you April Wine or something. <laughs> Because books are books, not books aimed at children. Books aimed at children are for children and preteens. You shouldn't be reading them anymore. And really, frankly, you shouldn't be going to see the movie that much anymore. Now, let me put a caveat in there. If you're stoned at home, watch whatever you like. <laughs> you know, let he amongst us who has not watched a Kurt Russell film festival on their own. <laughs> Be the first to cast the, the nacho-flavored Dorito, because I will watch any Kurt Russell movie, no matter how... I've seen... Uh, is it Deep Blue? Dark Blue, is it? I've seen Dark Blue, and a lot of you are like, what movie was that by him? Exactly. It came out after Training Day, and Kurt Russell wanted to do his corrupt cop movie about the LAPD, and so he did a movie called Dark Blue, where instead of playing a corrupt black police officer in the LAPD, he plays a black paddy officer in the LAPD. And I remember reading an interview with Kurt Russell, which I found most fascinating, as I do most things about Kurt Russell. And uh, he uh, said, I didn't wear makeup in this movie because I was really trying to you know, keep it real. And I love that. Like, not wearing makeup in a movie makes the movie actually more real than a movie. It was almost like real life because I detected no makeup on the lead actor. <laughs> 
You can watch Twilight if you want. I know there's kids out there listening going, but I like Twilight. Mr. Proops is harshing my mellow. <laughs> Imagine how you're harshing mine by providing the stars to be on every goddamn thing I turn on the TV to watch. Uh, so yes, my uh, allegiance has faltered. I don't know why I'd say my allegiance to the Giants has faltered as much as I've had to reflect on um, why I would invest this much time in a group of professional baseball players who are paid by a giant corporation to entertain us, much like the cast of Twilight or any other entertainment corporation you could think of, like an elephant in a circus. There is no difference, by the way, between professional sports and a movie or a television show or, in fact, the Taco Bell Chihuahua. There is no difference at all. And there's a lot of young people. Who is the Taco Bell Chihuahua grandfather? <laughs> My understanding was he quieroed Taco Bell. And uh, the reason is they're paid to do it by a big, giant, professional, white guy, fat corporation full of people sitting in a luxury box. That's what sports are. Um, we attach ourselves to them because we have to. We're humans and we want to root for teams that represent our area and whatnot. And of course I did at a young age. And when I started watching the Giants, I was at that age where black's your favorite color. What is that? When you're seven or eight, when you're perverse and you spend that whole year going, oh, I like black. <laughs> you know, like, I hate life or whatever. And um, where you post the sign in the window that says, I hate everybody. Um, Apparently, I'm the only one who did that. All right. <laughs> Moving on with the well-adjusted crowd we have here tonight, who's in denial about their own neuroses. Um, uh, so when I saw them, they were all wearing black, and Willie Mays was there, and I couldn't have been more excited. Later, as I grew more cynical and we went to college, uh, the Giants uh, experienced several doldrum periods uh, in my uh, experience. The late 70s was kind of a bad time. And then again in the... Uh, mid-80s. And the only reason I bring this up is not that I want to bore you with baseball talk, although I could talk about Satchel Paige until the kittens come home and the frosty dawn broke upon the thorn with the dew and the snail crawling on it. Um, is this. Uh, I, Candlestick Park where the Giants played was uh, based on a giant ashtray. That was how the architect thought, I'll build this stadium. It held 60-something thousand people and was the most wildly uncomfortable, coldest, with the worst fucking food of all time, located at a place where, after 1 o'clock in the afternoon when the game commenced, a whirlwind would come through the stadium. Not a Scirocco, because the Scirocco is a warm, calming wind. More like a horrible, like a Santayana, as we would have here, which agitate people and make them fight as if you need anything to agitate you in Los Angeles, other than calling your fucking agent and having them go, we're a little bit busy with Kurt Russell right now, Greg. Call back on Tuesday. Um, so, whirling dust devils in a stadium outside of San Francisco. They served you Coca-Colas in those days that had no top on them, and the peanut shells would end up in your Coke inevitably, right? And, and hot dog grabbers all up against the wall. Once I saw the batter, the catcher, and the umpire all scream in terror and hold their eyes because dirt had flown into their eyes from a giant tornado at the plate. So, in 1984, the Giants lost 100 games, and at that game, it was a day much like today in Los Angeles, like the day Christ died cloudy, full of portent. And uh, uh, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the lights went on in the stadium. That's what kind of shit day it was in San Francisco. And this is what makes San Francisco fans the greatest fans in the whole world. We're the funniest. Uh, oh, but what about New York? They're funny. No. New York fans throw batteries at players and call the Asian players nips and stuff like that. That's how funny fucking New York fans are. What about Philadelphia fans? No. Last year in Philadelphia, a man willfully threw up on a child on fucking video in Philadelphia. They had the most vile fans that ever walked the face of the earth. Santa Claus was lowered from a helicopter famously in Philadelphia and was booed roundly. <laughs> That's not funny. That's just horrible. San Francisco fans, funny. The lights come on at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the day you're losing the 100th game of the season. There's about mm, 2,000 people in a 60,000-seat stadium. And I hear from the back, and the lights go on and Giants fall apart. <laughs> so about the 6th or 7th inning, we are sucking major man bag, right? We're about to lose this fucker. And the crowd starts chanting, 99, hold the line, 99. That is fucking hilarious, ladies and gentlemen. So my allegiance faltered, but then did not waver, because I was staunch after that. 85, 84, I can't remember which year it was. It was a ghastly bloody year for the team. Oh, I don't know who made that. That is good vodka. 
Uh, that will, I hope will answer your question, Nate. Well, 2002 was a testing year because we lost to the California Angels. And if you know anything about the California Angels, you know that their team is located in Anaheim and that they were the Anaheim Angels. And then they became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim so that the word Los Angeles could be in their title because no one knows what the fuck Anaheim is. It would be like calling the Detroit team the Dearborn Tigers of Detroit, Illinois. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever and there's no precedent for it and yet that's what they're called. When we played them, I believe they were still the Anaheim Angels, and Gene Autry's widow was there and laughed over my dead, desiccated corpse as my team lost. Barry Bonds was on the team that year. Isn't he the guy who cheated? No. You're the guy who cheated. You stole a fucking post-it note at work. You fucking stole some lunch from the fucking break refrigerator. When Barry cheated, children wept tears of fucking joy. When you cheated, it made you a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, you fucking heard me. Round asks, is it round? I'm not certain how to spell this. R-A-U-N, R-A-U-N. Round, rune. If not right now, what, in your opinion, has been the greatest decade for the United States? Kittens. There's a difficult question. Let's start at the beginning. The 1770s were kind of arduous. How many decades do we have to go through? 24, 25? This ought to take up some time. The 1770s, tumultuous, calamitous, exciting, full of white guys in wigs. Who, uh, who was it? Alexander Hamilton actually put forward, excuse me, was it at the Constitutional Convention? Um, we should have women uh, in this, too. And everybody, especially Jefferson, women? <laughs> we hold these truths to be self-evident, Broham. That white guys who own land are awesome and slaves are fucking convenient. So that was the 1770s. A decade that apparently Sarah Palin unbelievably intimate with. In so much as... This week she was on her tour of freedom. I'm riding a bus around the country while the media chases me around as if I were a Kardashian because I have about as much impact on American policymaking as Courtney Kardashian does. And she was uh, on the East Coast in a state called Massachusetts. And uh, on her bus tour, um, and oh, again, the media covers her. First of all, the first stop was in like Arizona and she was on a motorcycle. And I saw a million pictures on the web of her with a motorcycle helmet on. I'm sure she didn't ride it. She just sat on it. And my question was, why is that considered news? If I had a great looking fucking aunt who'd been governor of Alaska and she went around the... Oh, never mind. All right. So she's on this bus tour. Uh, anyway, she uh, said, this is her quote exactly, because a lot of people have gone over this this week, but I shall read you the quote. By ringing those bells and making, by the way, she rarely uses an entire suffix, particularly when the suffix is an ing suffix. Because if you pronounce the entire suffix of a word, it means you're an elitist member of the uh, uh, Illuminati, a uh, Jewish conspiracy of people who are controlling this country with their liberal baby-killing bullshit. See, what happens is real Americans don't say making, they say making, and then they wink at you. <laughs> Whereas evil Americans, what, by that I mean women who are empowered and Jews, uh, are trying to destroy the fabric of America by interjecting and uh, uh, insisting upon um, critical discourse. So, she said, quote, by ringing those bells and making sure as he's riding his horse through town to send those warning shots and bells that we were going to be sure and we were going to be free and we were going to be armed. That is word for fucking word. Her description of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow is brightly lit in his tomb and spinning at a rate almost unmeasurable to modern scientific diagnostic technical equipment. There is no way of measuring how fast Longfellow is spinning in his grave right now. You'll remember that he said, one if by land and two if by sea and I on the opposite shore shall be. He didn't say, we're going to be sure and we're going to be free and we're going to be armed. 
That should be the sign over every NASCAR game, don't you think? We're sure and we're free and we're armed. And what we're not armed with is any knowledge of the past. Or lamestream history, as she might refer to it. Um, you may find uh, that, one, um, we were all British when Paul Revere made his ride. I don't mean to be a big, technical, fucking Noam Chomsky asshole on this one, but we were not yet gonna be free because we had not yet signed the Declaration of Independence. It was some time before that. This was 1775, you see. We signed it in 1776. And secondly, um, Paul Revere rang no bells whatsoever. Uh, you don't have to be a historian to know this one, or even own any Revere wear. He got on a horse to go warn Sam Adams and John Hancock that the British were armed and were going to apprehend them and put them in jail, right? And uh, that's what he was doing. Him and Samuel Dawes, his partner, took off in opposite directions, and he would knock on the doors of houses, and he was trying to alert the locals uh, to the fact that the British were indeed coming, which I don't think he even actually said. I think he said, uh, um, the regular, someone, someone, he was pounding on a door, and someone said, stop the noise, and he went, noise, you'll get noise enough. The regulars are on their way, right? Meaning the redcoats, the British were coming. And then, as far as her uh, refuting it, which she did immediately, she went to where America gets their news, Fox News. And I mean America, America. I mean people who are so fat they have to be lifted by a crane from their double-wide trailer in order to vote against what's right and good. Those people. That America, not fag-loving, fucking homosexual, gay pride, West Hollywood America, but real America. Uh, she went on Fox News and she said, I didn't mess it up. She didn't say I didn't get it wrong, because getting it wrong would be an intellectual effete, uh, I'm better than you thing to say. She said, I didn't mess it up. He did ring them bells and, and, and what was it? Ring those bells and, sh and warning shots. Paul Revere did not fire a shot. Uh, I think you'll find the British were the ones who fired shots and the American troops at Lexington whose undiminished courage stands as a scutcheon for us to all uh, mark our own bravery by today. Was it not Colonel Prescott on the, uh, 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 was it um, the Lexington Town Square, right? Was it, uh, if they mean to have a war, let it start here, did he not say, right? In that hard-ass, brass, fucking well-armed way that Americans do. And they had the shit shot out of them. Um, Paul Revere did not shoot any shots, nor did he ring any bells. He simply rode a horse. And then she was like, but he did warn the British, because she inferred that he warned the British. <laughs> well, the British needed no warning, as so, in so much as they were marching down the goddamn road behind him. <laughs> and two, the British did speak with Paul Revere, and that was her assertion when she was, didn't mess it up. She said he did talk to the British. Yes, the British apprehended Paul Revere before he finished his climactic ride, put a gun to his head and said, we'll blow your fucking brains out. And that's an exact fucking quote from the 18th century. What the fuck are you doing? We will blow your brains out. They put one of those big antiquated pistols up that you got to pull the cock back, right? The kind that you put a ball in and stuff it with powder and put a patch, right? And load it down with gunpowder, right? Those kind of pistols, not the kind of easy-going bullets we have now. So that's the 1770s. The 1780s, well, a very tumultuous decade as well. You didn't think I was going to go through every decade, but I am. Because I can't just pick one off the top of my head. We wrote the Constitution in the 1780s. That was big, right? We finally had a president, elected, of course, by a group of white men. We didn't want people to vote. You let people vote, all kinds of mayhem happens. Like they get what they want and stuff like that. Uh, let's skip forward. Uh, let's see, the 18... Let's go right to the 1840s. There's a sexy decade. Because you got Edgar Allan Poe, you got uh, Hawthorne, you got uh, Washington Irving, uh, James Fenimore Cooper, right? A, a golden age in American literature. Henry James and whatnot. That most English of... Uh, American authors. That's a zesty decade. Um, then the 1850s, horrible decade, right? The Missouri Compromise, all, all the, the lead up to the Civil War, uh, the complete division between North and South, uh, a borning, although California, I think, slipped in there in the 1850s. That's a good time for everyone. Thank fuck for California. 
Uh, 1860s, no one would say that was the best decade. <laughs> 1890s were the gay 90s, right? Uh, for white people. <laughs> if you were Chinese, they weren't that fucking gay. <laughs> you had to live in a ghetto and wear a, a braid and whatnot and be dragged down the street and harassed, hurrahed, as they said in those days. Um, here, let's pick a fun decade that we can all agree on. I'd say the 60s, but they were tumultuous, and everybody gets the 60s wrong. As I've described on the show time and time again, the 60s are often shown on television as that group of people in a circle dancing, then someone smoking a joint, and then a bomb falling. <laughs> and that's not the 60s. There was a civil war in this country. There was a civil war around the fucking world in the 60s. So I don't nominate the 60s. How about the 80s? Those were pretty shallow. Oh, wait. Reagan was president. Now, that brings me to something else. I tweeted the other day, uh, as I do, like every other goddamn comedian and Gwyneth Paltrow in America. And uh, I tweeted a Reagan cartoon because I thought it was funny. And those of you who have listened to the show will you know that I go on almost endlessly about how I didn't really care for Ronald Reagan as a president. And what I don't care for more than Ronald Reagan as a president is the uh, revisionist history that goes down that he was some sort of unbelievably dynamic leader who led our country out of the darkness of communism and into the bright, sh what was it, the shining city on the hill as he uh, did not refer to it as someone's speech wrote for him. Um, he was almost completely incoherent, I will remind you, during the last four years of his second term. Uh, hundreds of people indicted. So this is the commercial, this is the cartoon I, I, I found and I thought it was funny and it was about Reagan. Uh, he tripled the national debt, but he had such charisma. He was, he was supported apartheid, but he was always personable. He backed Saddam Hussein, but he made us feel good about ourselves. He crushed workers' rights, but he was someone you could sit down and have a beer with. And if you don't think he crushed workers' rights, if you're listening to the show and you've made it this far, and you still disagree, and you're still not sophisticated enough to laugh and disagree, then let me hit you to this. The year that he uh, insisted that we pray for Lech Walesa and the Solidarity Movement in Poland was the exact same Christmas he fired all the air traffic controllers right before fucking Christmas, who had a union, and he broke that, bam, he broke that, bam, 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 he broke that union. Um, Star Wars turned out to be an expensive fantasy, but he had infectious optimism. He backed death squads throughout Central America, but he always looked for the best in everyone. He looked the other way when Salvadorian allies raped American nuns, but he had that self-deprecating humor. He confused old movies with foreign policy, but he was always quick with a joke. Do you remember some of his jokes? How, here's a Reagan joke I'll remember for you. Uh, he was on uh, doing a radio address, his weekly radio address, and he said uh, uh, about, about the Russians, the bombing starts in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking universal Armageddon? You are a caution, Ronnie. <laughs> the fuck out of town. The president said that? Yeah, he fucking did. How do you know that? Because I remember. He traded arms for hostages and diverted money to drug-running death squads, but he never lost his sunny disposition. So I put this cartoon on my Twitter, and oh my kittens, the woodwork cracked open, and not since I swore that Lemmy was in the group Fastway has there been so much divisive controversy. I had someone tell me I was ignorant. I had someone say goodbye to me. That's it. I thought you're... And I'm just... Uh, this is my impression of their voice. I don't know what they actually spoke like. I'm just reading their Twitter in the voice I thought that they spoke in. I like you on Hootline, man. I mean, you're not funny no more. Because I assume they have paralysis of the palate. <laughs> When someone puts an editorial cartoon on their Twitter, here are your choices, uh, America and the world. Look at it, don't look at it, or look at it and disregard it if you didn't like it. How about that? How about those three fucking choices? Instead of bothering to fucking tweet me and tell me that I'm an asshat, why don't you leave off on that and then just fucking go on your way? Uh, how about if we agree to disagree? Anyone ever thought of that in the last 20 goddamn years? You think Reagan was great? You think he was a superhero? You think he helped this country? Good for you. It's always important to believe in shit that's like in another world. <laughs> I believe in Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot. <laughs> and if anyone saw that video from last week, it was awesome. Or two weeks ago, was it? The girl uh, and the guy in Oregon, and it's on an iPhone, so there's actually like an iPhone frame around it. Did anyone see this besides me? 
They're hiking in the woods, and a Bigfoot runs across the top of the frame, which is clearly a dude in an outfit, but it's awesome. And so they posted it everywhere. It was on the web. Apparently, I'm the only person who saw this. I, I've turned into my mother. I really have. <laughs> my mother believed in Edgar Casey, you know, and UFOs, and Eric Von Donneken, and Bigfoot, and I loved it when I was little. I'm from Northern California. We always had Bigfoot. When we would go on, like, camping things in grade school, they would sit us around the campfire and go, and that was the night that Bigfoot came out. And we'd be like, oh you know. I don't know what they tell in Michigan. And that was the night uh, Lee Iacocca came out of the woods. <laughs> I, I'm not certain what fables they tell in other parts of the country, but we always had Bigfoot. And I want to believe there's a Bigfoot. I don't want to believe it's a man. I love the Patterson film. And if you know what I'm talking about, the Patterson film is the 1967 film that's a kind of a sepia, grainy kind of uh, color. And, and there's a, an extraordinary costume, if it is a costume, uh, it, because the, ha the, the head is conical and, and his body's much thicker. The one that you saw from a couple of weeks ago looked like, uh, you, you know, what was that John Carpenter movie? The, uh, no, not Harry and the Hendersons. The one in the Patterson film looks more like Harry and the Hendersons. There was um, a, 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 a John Carpenter film from the 70s called Schlock, I think, that had the worst Bigfoot outfit in the world in it. And in any case, uh, the Patterson film, he's, he's walking across a clearing, and, and the camera is wildly all over the place, and then it finally catches up to him, and then he kind of, he doesn't stop, but the Bigfoot's kind of, and then keeps going. And, and they've dissected it, they've, they've slowed it down, they've done a million things to it. And then my favorite is when people make the argument, like they do with UFOs. Um, you know, the BBC tried to recreate that costume a few years ago and they couldn't. <laughs> Irrefutable, incontrovertible proof that that was Bigfoot. I remember watching a UFO video years ago and they're like, this is a Venusian craft. You can tell by the distinctive tail. Why won't the government tell us? You know, like, okay, calm down, bro. Hey. So it can't be the 80s. Because it says if not right now, but if not right now includes right now. I would never say this decade right now is the best decade. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, um, Justin Bieber is allowed to roam freely around the earth. Now, I realize this is for me. If you're young, again, if you're nine, Justin Bieber's down by law. Like, when I was nine, the Archies were fucking cool. They had records on the back of cereal boxes and whatnot. And the Partridge family had uh, both Susan Day and Shirley Jones. That's right, a gilf and a milf in one group. Except we didn't call them that. We didn't even know what to call them then. All we knew was that they were wearing velvet boots and had, like, Paul Revere, you know, frill on their shirts. Uh, it's not just that Justin Bieber exists now. It's that I heard a record. All right, I went to the dry cleaner the other day, and they were playing some auto-tune bullshit on one of the stations, and it was like. I don't mean to be a stickler, but I don't want my microwave oven to write a song for me. I don't want to be sung to by the ignition system of my car. Either you can sing or you can't sing. I don't, you know, I know. But every means auto-tune is cool. No. Auto-tune is the fucking whatever. Uh, what is the greatest decade for the United States? A lot of people would say the 50s. And, uh, you know, because it's those halcyon days, right? Uh, everybody wore poodle skirts and America was booming and we were awesome and we had a big swinging dick and no one could compete with us and the Ruskies weren't up to us yet and... And there was no war going on other than Korea, which killed zillions of fucking people, and black people had no fucking rights, and there were no queers, and women had to wear dresses and gave up their jobs after the war. Other than that, it was the greatest of all decades. Uh, the 70s has replaced the 50s in a lot of ways, and for young people, I think the 80s has replaced all of those decades, because I think young people look at the 80s and go, really? You wore O-rings and jellies and fucking neon clothes and shit? And listen to the Information Society? <laughs> the answer is yes, we did do all those things. But uh, Reagan was president. And remember, he traded arms for hostages and diverted money to drug-running death squads, but he never lost his sunny disposition. <laughs> Because they're always saying, whoever the Republicans are going to run, they need someone like Reagan. You mean an incoherent 72-year-old who was the shittiest governor of California in my lifetime outside George Duke Majin? <laughs> Who's George Duke Majin? Google it, bitch. <laughs> what time are we at, Maddie? What do we got? We got uh, yeah, 20 left. 
I couldn't understand your intro to me, and I couldn't understand what you said just now. 44. Really? We only have 20 minutes left? Oh, kittens, McTavish. Oh, we're going to have to get to the questions here. Two quick things. Uh, three quick things. Um, this, this has just struck me to the very quick, Proop Kittens and Proop uh, Castorettes. The Netherlands plans to ban foreign visitors from pot shops in a move that opponents have labeled tourism suicide. The Dutch government is trying to stop drug tourism in the country. According to a recent announcement, under the plan, the coffee shops that sell marijuana will become private clubs limited to Dutch citizens who have to show proof of ID and become a member to buy marijuana. This is from the BBC website. That's it for Holland. That is fucking it for Holland. Seriously. I mean, I lived, well, near Europe. I lived in England. And we would go to Holland. And, I mean, Amsterdam is a nice place, okay? Uh, uh, women can walk around uh, unfettered and, and unmolested. You can ride a bicycle if you like. They serve ice-cold Vitabeer in tiny little seven-ounce glasses. With, sometimes with a lemon, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the food is unspeakable. Uh, eat them every day, really? Eat them in Gouda? Really? That's all you got? Uh, yeah, cheese, every goddamn minute. Um, it's safe. And then uh, you go to the Riggs Museum or you go to uh, 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 the Rembrandt Museum, which is his house, or, or, or the Van Gogh, you see the Van Gogh. Um, no one ever go to the Anne Frank house. Nothing's more fucking depressing. And please don't get high and go there. Um, but there's, there's, there's nothing to do in Amsterdam. The point of Amsterdam is there's nothing to do. You literally sit and drink a beer and look at a canal. And that's fucking it. Unless you like herring on a roll, there's nothing to do. Uh, so you go and you get pot and you get high in one of the coffee shops. And you experience the freedom that we don't have here. God damn you, Holland. You used to be so open-minded. How dare you fucking... Now you're like Los Angeles. You have to have a card to get in. If LA let everyone into the pot shops, we'd never stop the fucking tourism in this town. <laughs> 220 coffee shops in Amsterdam's red light district are starting to close and the policy of being a phone. It's just too sad. It really is. I haven't been that sad in fucking ages. Uh... I wanted to read you two little quotes because it reminded me of what was going on this week. I'm not going to speak of Anthony Weiner because I think that comedy horse has been beaten to death. Uh, should he resign, Greg? How the fuck would I know? He, he, he sent pictures of his dick to girls. If you're a grown-up and you're still doing that, you've got a lot of issues. I mean, can you govern a country still? Sure. I mean, look at, look at Italy. Italy has a fucking... A superannuated Dracula dressing rapist as their prime minister. Of course you can govern a country. Of course. Uh, will America make more of this than it ought to be made of? Yeah, because it's a story about a guy named Wiener who showed everybody his Wiener. It's never going away. We're juvenile. We're eight-year-olds. There's a reason why we were started by Puritans, because the Wiener, and he showed his Wiener. <laughs> That'll be the end of that. You could write a fucking novel about how much ink is going to be spilled over that cocksucker. Or that Wiener butter. <laughs> But I wanted to hit you with two things. In light of Sarah Palin's I Didn't Mess Up, uh, Paul Revere, B uh, Charles Bukowski, uh, the immortal alcoholic and uh, awesome writer who lived right here in Los Angeles. And don't you believe Los Angeles is illiterate? Any town that can produce uh, um, uh, Raymond Chandler and John Fonte and Charles Bukowski, uh, respect. For those who believe in God, most of the big questions are answered. But for those who can't readily accept the God formula, the big answers don't remain stone-written. We adjust to new conditions and discoveries. We're pliable. Love need not be a command, nor faith a dictum. I am my own God. We are here to unlearn the teachings of the church, state, and our educational system. We are here to drink beer. We are here to kill war. Yes. We are here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. Oh. Fucking A. Thank you. Uh, that's how you, uh, that's how I feel. Uh, although I wouldn't drink as much beer as Bukowski. And, and then Pierre Joseph Proudhon, I found this quote this week. Um, he was, of course, the first anarchist. Not like Buchanan or uh, uh, Kropotkin, 
Uh, he was a nonviolent anarchist. He wanted to do it a lot of different ways. I don't have a, a lot of time to go into who Proudhon was. You can look him up. Pierre Joseph, P-R-O-U-D-H-O-N. And this comes off the back of last week's enormous diatribe about Gil Scott Heron because Geronimo Pratt passed away this week. Geronimo Pratt was a member of the Black Panther Party. But more than that, um, he was unjustly and unfairly incarcerated by the Los Angeles Police Department for 27 years for a crime that he was not, not only did he not commit, he was definitively and with an alibi that was legitimate in another town when the crime went down. In any case, he was Negro, so they put him in jail forever. And I'm not going to beat this to death because I know I went on and on about Gil Scott Heron last week. But Geronimo Pratt, aside from getting a $4.6 million settlement at the end of his 27-year incarceration by the city of Los Angeles or the state of California, received a silver star, a bronze star, and two purple hearts in Vietnam. And then we put him in jail because he was in the Black Panther Party, and they dared to give pancakes to children at breakfast. And it reminded me of this quote, to be governed is to be watched over, inspected, spied on, directed, legislated at, regulated, docketed, indoctrinated, preached at, controlled, assessed, weighed, censored, ordered about by men who have neither the right, nor the knowledge, nor the virtue. To be governed is to be at every operation, at every transaction, noted, registered, enrolled, taxed, stamped, measured, numbered, assessed, licensed, authorized, admonished, forbidden, reformed, corrected, punished. It is, under the pretext of public utility and in the name of the general interest, to be placed under contribution, trained, ransomed, exploited, monopolized, extorted, squeezed, mystified, robbed. Then, at the slightest resistance, the first word of complaint, to be repressed, fined, despised, harassed, tracked, abused, clubbed, disarmed, choked, imprisoned, judged, condemned, shot, deported, sacrificed, sold, betrayed, and, to crown all, mocked ridiculed, outraged, dishonored. That is government. That is its justice. That is its morality. And if you don't fucking think so, check into the fucking uh, Patriot Act. Or any other million other things that are going on right now. Or better yet, to not get so esoteric about the whole goddamn thing, turn on the news. All right, here we go. Here's the questions. I don't think we have time to take any from the audience, and I think after that last diatribe, no one dares take the mic. Here we go. <laughs> Nicholas asks, uh, and by the way, you may ask me anything you like at um, smartest at a special thing dot com. Who the fuck was Duran Duran? <laughs> Nicholas, that's an awesome question. Duran Duran uh, was the character David Hemmings played in the movie Barbarella, of course. And then later, an awesome rock group that started in the late 70s in England uh, and carries on to this very day. I believe they played Coachella this year. Uh, I met Duran Duran, and they are the nicest group of people you would ever meet in your entire life. I never bought a record by them. I knew all their songs because they played in the radio incessantly in my 20s. Um, they uh, served us drinks they gave us food they were absolute fucking gentlemen and I have nothing bad to say Durant, about Duran Duran uh, they carry on now uh, almost with every original member of the group um, save one and uh, they are fucking good fun is what Duran Duran is to answer what the fuck was Duran Duran they are fucking good fun <laughs> Ken asks build for us please sorry about my eyesight in your own brand of descriptive verbal eloquence, oh, you're enforcing that, are you? <laughs> the perfect cocktail in detail and the perfect Raspberry Dawn setting in which to imbibe it well. <laughs> raspberry Dawns are important. I think the most romantic time I ever had with my wife, uh, aside from uh, sending a, uh, a sext of my dick to a girl I didn't know, <laughs> was... Um, we were in, on the island of Capri, or Capri, as they say it there, which smells like lemons and smells like bay leaf. The wind started to blow and a storm kicked up in the early evening as we were finishing dinner. And it smelled so much like bay leaf, I turned to my wife and I said, now you know what rabbits smell right before the lid comes down on the pot. <laughs> <laughs> that night... 
we sat on the balcony of our room and we were very fortunate to even be in Capri and it was August so there were mad storms in the Mediterranean you can't see anything from the room we're out right just the blue 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 Mediterranean now it's darkness fall and an electrical storm took place miles away from where we were sitting like Neptune and Zeus were fighting each other with balls of lightning and I mean screaming arcs of fucking uh, exciting etched through the sky white jagged lines followed by enormous silence because it was so far away so the wind blew up the wind blew up the smell of salt in the air bay leaves and lemons and then wham a big bolt of lightning that lit up the entire night sky and the balcony we're sitting on and then no noise at all that is the perfect raspberry dawn in which to imbibe a cocktail the cocktail that I would pick, well, as you guys know, straight vodi is pretty goddamn good. But I think if you had to pick a cocktail that had all the elements, uh, my favorite one was when I lived in England, occasionally there would be a warm afternoon. Now this happened like three times in five years. And we would sally out to the garden and you would pour yourself a large gin and tonic with loads of ice and a big splash of tonic and a big um, lime in it. A perfectly made gin and tonic. The first one, because by the third one, you're anybody's girl. <laughs> I wouldn't get too fancy is what I'm saying with the cocktails. You don't need to make a brandy sour or a cheery hearing Alexander or some weird, uh, and, and by all means, never a drink that has filatio inferred or cunnilingus. There's so many drinks with, you know, a, a giant huff and a chode in a parking lot while a dude, you know, I don't, those drinks are never good. They're always too sweet. There's always grenadine in them or apple or, 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 or um, what's that golden drink that you keep the dimes in? Galliano. There's always something like that in it. And a real drink could, could do a splash, maybe. A Manhattan, perfectly muddled. But I'm not a big whiskey person. Uh, for me, vodka... And I'm not a big gin person either, but I think a perfectly made gin and tonic is, dare I say it, almost like touching yourself. I'll come back to that one. That one's too huge. I've got to pick that one up next week. Um, I don't read these beforehand, so I'm seeing them now for the first. Mary asks, what is the most poignant song from the 80s? Well, we had a little discussion this morning at a gig I was doing, uh, because uh, what's the one... Journey. I don't even know that. It, don't stop believing. I don't know that that's the more poignant one, but it was being played really loudly and over and over again at the gig I was doing. And uh, this kid who was in his 20s was like, could they fucking stop playing that fucking song? And I had to explain to him that I'm from San Francisco and that Journey's from San Francisco. And it wasn't that I was supporting Journey in that, in that regard. It was that it, it was wildly popular. And that the Sopranos brought it back uh, with that one episode. Poignant song from the 80s. I'm going to say, let's pretend we're married by Prince. Because it has the lyric, I'm not saying this just to be nasty. I sincerely want to fuck the taste right out of your mouth. Can you relate? <laughs> I don't know what you call poignant, but I had to pull my car over and cry for a while. <laughs> Can you relate? That was how you... Kate asks, uh, Mary, I'm sorry if that was too glib. I know you were probably hoping for another one where I actually wept and shit. <laughs> I'll tell you my favorite song from the 80s, uh, Save It For Later, uh, by the English Beat. Kate asks, what, what's your take on men strutting around shirtless in public? If you have a bitching chest and kicking abs, do whatever you like. <laughs> If you look like Seth Rogen and uh, um, knocked up, mm mm mm. <laughs> mm mm. That's what France is for. Seriously, if you go to France in the summertime, people of all shapes and sorts do the very littlest clothing they could possibly do. Here in America, we have fucking rules. Let me read you some of those rules. I have them here somewhere. Sarah Palin said them. 
We're going to send those warning shots and those bells. We're going to be sure, we're going to be free, and we're going to be armed. That's why you can't walk around with your hairy fucking breasts hanging out. Unless you're at home. Moves, if you will. Chalupas. If you're at home, do what you like. Uh, Amanda asks, do you think it... How much time we have, Matt? About eight minutes. Really? Yeah. Kittens. Amanda asks... No, I got nine o'clock right now. Yeah, but we started at ten after, Fee, so oh. get off my dick. Okay. All right. um, you're all right. No, I know. Thank you. Thank you for your help. I'm going to spend the rest of the show talking about you. And I will. And that's how that works. Amanda asks, do you think it's true the sport of baseball has passed its prime and won't be around in 60 years? Oh, Amanda. No way. Well, that's Fee and me on that one. But you're probably right in some ways. Um, it really is a white guy, middle-aged guy sport. And I wish it wasn't. I, I wish more young people got into the excitement of baseball. You have to understand, baseball is a, how do you describe it? Baseball's a gyroscope. It, 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 it spins on its own, and the entertainment is all intrinsic. You, you almost have to bring yourself to baseball. You know what I mean? The NBA, I understand. It's sexy. There's big, tall guys. They're slam dunking. They're jumping around. It's like barnstorming. Even the NFL, I understand. Even though there's epic periods of nothing happening in the NFL, when they finally do bang on each other, it's fun. Um, soccer is eternal because the entire world loves football and football will never ever go away and if you if you don't like soccer as we call it here go to a football match maybe not a American football match but if you can watch one on TV watch a Latin one or a European one or better yet go live you'll see that football is fascinating and an almost perfectly constructed sport um, it's for me baseball will never be past its prime but thank fuck I won't live to see the end of it I think a sport that brought this country Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby and Satchel Paige. Yes, I brought him up again. I managed to work Satchel Paige in again to the show. Um, is no sport to be sneezed at. A sport that brought Roberto Clemente and uh, 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 um, uh, Chan Ho Park, whoever you can think of, who, who, Ikiro, who plays for Seattle. We have Asians playing. We have Koreans playing now. We've actually finally broke down loads of barriers in baseball. Now, I grant you, baseball is the crackeriest sport of all time. And if you don't like it, it's, it's exceedingly boring. I'm not certain how to answer that. What I think will save baseball is when they let women play professional baseball. And I'm fucking serious about that. A woman could pitch, a woman could play the infield, a woman could play the outfield. When you watch women play uh, fast pitch softball and the, and the girls play college ball, they're extraordinary. And I think that's what's missing from baseball. If baseball really wanted to be egalitarian, and it always claims it is, and it isn't, it's an exclusionary white guy sport run by white guys. If baseball really wanted to be egalitarian, we would be the first sport to fucking have co-ed. Uh, if there were women playing baseball, yes, it will live forever. If they don't allow women to play baseball, I hope it fucking dies. Chris asks... Uh, Chris asks, I am writing a joke, which is funnier, a bee or a wasp? Well, a wasp, honey. <laughs> another Greg asks, he's, he's titled himself Another Greg. Uh, I, I too am another Greg. Salutations. <laughs> what movies that are considered classics do you think are, uh, that are overrated? Mm, toughy, that one. I know what my wife would say. She'd say Citizen Kane immediately. Uh, maybe. Uh, I, I, you know what? I don't know that... I, what I find overrated are movies that get too highly rated at the time. Um, a, a classic is a difficult to define. Is Casablanca overrated? I don't think so. Go back and watch it because you'll be breathless through the whole movie. Um, some of the old movies aren't overrated. Um, go back and watch Hitchcock's greatest movies, The Lady Vanishes or Strangers on a Train, and you'll be like exultant through the whole movie and like, fuck, this is sexy and I'm freaking out and I laugh. Wow! And then go back and watch like Hangover. <laughs> or any movie with Jennifer Aniston in it. And you'll realize that a lot of classics aren't overrated. A lot of classics have got exactly what they fucking deserve. Um, there's probably a few that I'm not coming up with off the top of my head. I would say Lawrence of Arabia, but I fucking love Lawrence of Arabia, so I can't say that's overrated. Uh, is Dr. Chivago a classic? I don't think so, but I don't think anyone would have said Dr. Chivago was a classic. Mm. Good fucking question. 
You know what? Another Greg. You hear that noise? Next week. That's circling. <laughs> Next week we're coming back because although I never read the questions beforehand, I'm going to give this one some serious cogitation because it's an outstanding fucking question. I'm sure. All right. I've talked about the sting before in this very space. I was watching it two nights ago, very high, late at night. And it won seven Oscars. But I don't think anyone would say the sting was a classic. Overrated. It's entertaining. Seven Oscars. Wow, really? The sting? It was the middle of the recession, much like we're having now when the sting came out. America was on a fucking triple biorhythmic low. And just to see Robert Redford... Uh, and his bitching 70s hair and Paul Newman with a mustache wearing a tuxedo and a boutonniere <laughs> was enough to lift our spirits to make us forget about the gas line and the Arabs. I'll think about that one because I'm just rattling on now. Uh, I said a wasp there. Oh, there's another one. We'll have to keep that one for next week. Feeway Bill has taken it upon himself to interject himself into my show loquaciously. Because he's here, I'd like to do him some respect. There was a group and there is a group called The Tubes that was my absolute favorite group uh, growing up in the Bay Area and I'm from San Francisco, my beloved Bay Area and I went to see them many, many times when I was young on a dazzling variety of different drugs including acid and angel dust uh, uh, all kinds of drugs and um, I adored them and uh, Fee's here tonight and he's at the show and I couldn't be prouder that I finally dragged him out to see the show and that he was uh, so verbose that he thought he could chime in at the end of the show and get away without me scorching his fucking dick like this. Now, <laughs> Fee is a friend of mine and uh, an amazing performer and if you ever get a chance to see the tubes you'll find that they are wildly entertaining. Go on YouTube and look up White Punks on Dope or uh, talk to you later, or any number of a million great Tubes classics. And you'll see, one, how amazingly theatrical and dynamic they were. Two, they're in the um, uh, genre, oeuvre, whatever you want to call it, cadre, of uh, fabulous San Francisco groups that um, uh, overachieved at a massive level to the point where they broke themselves. Uh, uh, the Tubes were wildly theatrical. I remember seeing them at one point, 80 people on the stage. I think it was New Year's 1977. Uh, at the Palace of Fine Arts. And nothing like that can sustain itself because it's too big. Um, and then later, of course, they had the mad hits, uh, She's a Beauty, and Talk to You Later. Uh, here's my story about Fee, and I, I hope he'll forgive me for telling it. Two years ago, he, he invites me to Mark and Brian, who are DJs down here in LA's, Rockin' Christmas. And they have all these classic rock groups, right? Fawner and Heart and whatnot. So Fee gets up to sing Talk to You Later with Slash. And Rob Halford from... Uh, uh, no, no, no. Not Rob. He wasn't in... He wasn't in the group. Okay, Rob Halford was there. Steve Lukather. Steve Lukather from Toto, who wrote Talk to You Later. Jason Bonham. Jason Bonham from Led Zeppelin, right? Or, and the son of uh, John Bonham. Keith Emerson from Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Who was at the show last week, by the way, Fee. Wow. I know, right? Wow. And uh, I know, dude. Next, ne next week, uh, the, the entire group of Journey is going to come to kick my ass. <laughs> So we're standing backstage and Fee's just knocked it out, right? And he is a fantastic number, fantastic rendition of Talk To You Later. Heart walks by. You remember the group Heart, right? Um, uh, you may remember them. Uh, Cold night so long ago when I was not so strong. He's a magic man. And, uh, and then later they were coffee achievers in the 80s. Well, Hart walks by, and all you can see is their hair, because Hart is very short indeed. But they have ginormous hair, and it was quite dark. And Fee and I are standing there, and here comes Hart, and you can't see them. You can just see the outline of giant hair, like Revolutionary War hair, you know, just big, big Beethoven, Marie Antoinette hair. And uh, here they come, and Fee goes, uh, Greg, Anne's the fat one! <laughs> And I said, but presumably not the deaf one. <laughs> we will reconvene in one week's time at the bar Lubitsch on Santa Monica Boulevard. Until then, I wish you all a merry June bloom. I want to thank Fee Weibel for coming out here tonight. And I, er, and I thank you, sir. And I urge you uh, to uh, give the tubes a spin. And of course, uh, look up the anarchists. Oh, by the way, that anarchist I mentioned, Prudhon, is supposedly the one who led to the inspiration for the A with the circle around it. So if you're a punk, and of course, Fee was a punk before you were. Uh, you might look that up as well. My name's been Greg Proofs. This is the smartest man in the world, Proofcast. We'll see you in one week's time uh, at the bar Lubitsch. 
Once again, I bid you adieu from the Comedy Central stage here in the bustling, throbbing epicenter of theatrical creativity at the Hudson. Uh, a peace, a good night.